Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Baseball America podcast. I'm Hudson Belinsky. This week we're going to talk uh, about the Area Code Games, the uh, premier showcase event for some of the high school, the top high school talent in the nation held every year in Long Beach, California uh, at Blair Field, uh, home of, of Long Beach State uh, Baseball there. So uh, a fantastic event and a really a must-see event for most of the, the top evaluators from amateur scouting departments. Uh, so we were out there, Mike Lanana and I were out there from August 6th through the 10th uh, and covering the event uh, pretty much you know, we roll into the field around 8 a.m. and and you're there until the the late hours of the evening, watching guys bearing down on prospects um, and and learning as much as we possibly can about the 2017 draft class and um, getting to know these players a little bit uh, and also getting to talk to them um, and some coaches and scouts as well and understanding how this kind of class, uh, this 2017 draft class, shapes up. Uh, so that was kind of our experience out there. Uh, what you're going to hear on this podcast, we have myself and, and Mike Lanana. We're, we're going to talk about some of the themes from the Area Code Games, uh, some top names. And, um, you know, we won't necessarily introduce these names individually and give you all the background information that you want on those players, but you can check out our site. Go to baseballamerica.com. We've got Tons of content on there from the Area Code Games, uh, and more is still coming out over these next few days. Um, we have a, a feature that I'm pretty excited about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's and and the other things Mike Lanana is working on are, are obviously going to be outstanding. Um, you know, everything he does is is gold. So, uh, you're going to hear a conversation between Mike and myself, and then after that, um, you're going to hear a conversation between myself and Alan Jager. Uh, Alan, a well-renowned pitching coach and, and more than a pitching coach, kind of a, a pitching philosopher of sorts. Um, that's probably the best way to describe what he is. Um, he's been in the game for a really long time, um, over two decades of, of coaching athletes and helping them develop. And, and Alan has, um, is, is primarily known probably for his his long toss and, and armband philosophy and some, some really, really fascinating stuff. And, and he's just so concerned with arm care and, and building arm strength and building arm health. And so him and I talked about Hunter Green, who's a, a 2017 draft prospect, who's one of the top prospects in the class as, as both a shortstop and a right-handed pitcher. Uh, but so Alan and I talked about him and, Alan's experience working with Hunter and Hunter's family. Uh, so a very fascinating interview there. And, and we'll have more on Hunter Green uh, in the coming days and weeks here. Um, but then we also, the, the conversation shifts to arm health in general. And we talk about the epidemic of, of Tommy Johns and and sort of this wave of, of arm injuries that we've seen over the past few years and, and how we might be able to to get past that as a sport. 
Uh, so it's a fascinating interview with, with Alan Jaeger. Um, huge thanks to him and, and huge thanks to the student sports and area code crew uh, for putting us up and allowing us um, you know, the space and the access to the players. And, um, you know, Joe Murphy, Joey Mihalik, Kirsten Leach, just outstanding people. And they did a great job running the event. So without further ado, you're going to hear Mike Lanana and I chat, and then we'll take a quick break, and then you'll hear uh, Alan Jager. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, we really appreciate you listening and downloading. I'm Hudson Volinsky. With me is Mike Lanana. We're going to talk some area code games. We've been out in Long Beach for... Uh, what seems like a, quite a long time. Uh, we're actually we're actually on our way to LAX. I'm flying out in a, a little bit here. But Mike, how was your how was your week here in Long Beach? Yeah, man, it's been good. We saw a lot of talent at Area Code Games. Uh, a lot of velocity. Some some pitchers who, who grunted a little more than other pitchers. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it, it's been a good week. It was really fun to see Hunter Green, uh, especially on a pitcher's mound. You know, a, a guy who is in the conversation for one of the first picks in the draft and was was touching 98 on the mound, really had electric stuff. And then, you know, you see some other guys who kind of emerge a little bit, guys who maybe flying under the radar. I know we've talked a lot about you and I about, you know, Trevor Rogers on the Reds area code team who who did really well, especially in his first performance, really loose, you know, easy velocity, a left-handed guy. So, you know, it, it was fun to, to see the guys that we had heard about and see them in action, Jordan Adele homering and having a really good week, guys like that. But it was also fun to see, you know, some guys that you don't hear as much about, you know, excel on this platform. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, uh, and Mike Lemaire actually wrote an article leading up to, to the Area Code Games you know, and it, and it was about an individual who we can get into in a minute. But the the main point, the thesis of the article was, you know, for for guys like Hunter Green, you know, this is sort of just another stop on the on the trail to, to being a high draft pick. But for some other players, this is an important eye opening event. And, and so Mike Lemaire wrote about Jordan Anderson, who's who's a quick twitch outfielder from uh, from. Alabama, I believe, um, who is really starting to put together his raw tools. And over the past week, we've seen him as an organization. We've seen him at the East Coast Pro Showcase and at the Area Code Games. And he's gone from a guy who, you know, might be a guy to a, a real dude. And, and, and the ball came off his bat really well this week in, in Long Beach. Um, and he's kind of finding out, you know, figuring out how to use that bat speed. Um, and, and he's just another uh, an example of, of one of many prospects who established themselves uh, on the national scene. And you mentioned Trevor Rogers. This is a guy who's a six foot six left hander w- with an athletic, free and easy delivery, and and just easy gas in his first first outing out there. You know, mid nineties with uh, you know a sharp little little breaking ball that he had. Um, and and the, the thing that impressed me most about Trevor Rogers was the the command, um, and we saw that in his in his second outing too, where he's just going up there and playing catch basically is what it looks like, and then it's he's hitting his his spot down in glove side or down in arm side, and hey, he can go up if he needs to. So it, it was a really impressive look at, at him. He's the the left hander out of Carlsbad, New Mexico, um, who, who hadn't been on on the national scene yet. Right, right. 
and then you know you look at the teams themselves and you know it is you know you know these teams are competitive you know they, they, they want to win and, and you look at at the Brewers you know and what they did in this tournament and, and, and you know not losing a game and you look at the the depth of talent that they had and I know we had a conversation about it I mean is this the best area code teams ever or at least the best area code teams that you and I have seen yeah for sure I mean I, I think you know this is the second time that you and I are, have covered the games here and it, without question for me this was the most talented team you know, over these two years that we've been coming. Um, but, you know, just kind of talking to some people about it, and it, it, it seems like, yeah, this is a banner year for, for that Brewers team. And they, they're obviously they're from Southern California, and they, they represent Southern California every year, and so they're, they're going to have great teams. It, it just makes sense. It's, it's kind of intuitive. You, you have the best, one of the best regions, uh, one of the best demographic regions in the country, representing that you're gonna have a good team but even for that region it's pretty darn good because we have high-end talent guys like Hunter Green, Royce Lewis, Garrett Mitchell, Calvin Mitchell I mean we're just scratching the surface you saw on the mound right-hander Kyle Hurt who really went out and established himself early on and you know was low 90s with you know feel for a breaking ball and and a, a, a changeup that was pretty nasty. Yeah. I mean, and, and then there was just you know, Jeremiah Estrada, who, who again, another guy who was low 90s and, and had a good changeup and, and spun the ball when he needed to. And I mean, it, it was just ridiculous the amount of depth that this Brewers team had. And and even when you got to the to the last day, they're still throwing out arms like guys like Matthew Sauer, who's a wiry, projectable guy who could spin the ball a little bit and, and move a, move his fastball in and out of the strike zone. And on on most teams at the area code games, a guy with that kind of profile is the dude. Yeah, that's your dude. And and here, he, not to say that he's not he's not a you know a great player, but he's just one of one of several on this Brewers team this year. Yeah, and I, and I think the perfect illustration of the depth of this Brewers staff is you look at what they did yesterday on the last day of the event when most when most staffs you know they've they've used all their arms and you know the guys are pitching again and all and all that sort of thing. They no hit. The White Sox yeah. yesterday, a very good team. You know, maybe the second best team out there, certainly in the in the discussion in, in terms of talent. They no hit them, the first no hitter in area code games history. I mean, just I mean that that tells you I think everything you need to know about about the depth of, of the pitching on that Brewers staff. And obviously, it's a you know a very talented team from from top to bottom. It was a fun team to watch this week. That was certainly a highlight. Yeah, absolutely. The, and, and and you mentioned the White Sox team being being maybe the second best team here um you know in terms of guys maybe some personal cheese balls or some players that maybe you know we haven't necessarily pumped up yet you know as a as an organization but we're you know we're on as an organization some players that we we've been impressed by is is there anyone this week who you said hey i kind of like this guy This, this is impressive what he's doing yeah, certainly. You know, I, I think there are a few guys uh, on the Nationals team 
uh, who stood out, I thought. Uh, you know, Mason Hickman, I, I thought, was, was really, really great, obviously, in his performance. And I know he had a, a similar performance in East Coast Pro where he's, you know, striking out every guy. You know, a, you know, a right-hander who is, you know, hovering around, you know, 90, you know, 90, 91 or so. But, you know, really is commanding the ball and, and spinning the breaking ball. And it was really just... You know, guys weren't picking him up, whatever it was, whether it was late life or just hiding the ball well or whatever. I mean, just a lot of swings and misses, you know, and it's really fun to, to watch him. And, you know, look, looking around at some other teams, you know, guys who kind of, you know, stood out that you weren't necessarily expecting. I mean, I thought uh, Jason Willow. Um, yeah, on the on the Royals team, uh, a guy from British Columbia, hashtag Team C. Yeah, it was really pounding the ball all week. You know, he was really impressive. And then, uh, you know, on the Yankees team, I thought, you know, Papantonis, Andrew Papantonis, had, yeah. had a had a really nice week, a, a short stop. Uh, you know, part of uh, the Greek team, I, I guess. The yeah, Greek team. Um, he, uh, you know, he homered. He made a, a tremendous play earlier in the week where he, he threw out a runner at home from from basically shallow left field, and you know, you know, so he he flashed some tools, and you know, so those those guys those guys really stood out to me, and also you know, a guy who maybe in terms of name doesn't fly under the radar because he's Dusty Baker's son, but I thought Darren Baker you Absolutely. know stood out just in terms of you know not he he doesn't have power per se, but he's you know a, a kind of a scrappy leadoff type, you know, a left-handed hitter, a guy who had a lot of hits go into the opposite field and showcase some speed as well, stole some bases, so he was fun to watch. Yeah, what impressed me about Darren Baker is, and I talked to him just briefly, just ran, ran into him and, and introduced myself, and and I said, you know, I, I said, hey, nice work in center field, and he's like, he's like, really? I, he was he was like kind of surprised because he had never played center field before and this was a new experience for him and, and this is a guy whose profile is more of you know a slap and dash kind of guy who's who's going to try to put the ball in play stay short to the baseball and, and kind of drive a line drive to the gaps uh, um, and, and allow his speed to kind of dictate what what the result is going to be but his defense for the most part was was very impressive this week and and here's the, this is a guy who who has some bloodlines and has some aptitude and feel for the game so it, it was an impressive look at Darren Baker I mean you're exactly right I knew his name didn't know he was a name guy though which is there is a difference to that I mean and, you know when I say name guy I'm talking about a legitimate pro prospect and I, I'm not sure exactly how Baker fits in this kind of class with a deep outfield crop on the prep side um, and some you know some improvements he's got to he's going to have to make to his game, but certainly a guy who you could see down the line you know having a chance to to, to play a, in professional baseball. Um, but yeah, I mean there were there were to address some of those guys. I mean the Nationals I think were a great example of a team that had prospects step up. And, and you mentioned Mason Hickman, the, the right-hander from from Tennessee, who's committed to to Vanderbilt. I mean, this is a guy who goes to who eventually, you know, if he goes to Vanderbilt, you know, watch out. This is a weekend guy. I mean, it, it was just six foot five or six downhill and ninety one, and then he he could really spin the ball and manipulate his breaking ball. And and I, I talked to him for you know just a minute. And you know, not not on the record or anything. Just kind of see, you know, hey, what's up? How did that work? And he, you know, he said, you know, what I I realized here is you keep the ball off the corners, and 
and the hitters at this level can can be exposed that way. Um, and, and so showing some some aptitude, um, some feel for the game at, at such a young age, and that's that's a really impressive uh, trait. Uh, and and so to speak about some aptitude and feel for the game, you know, Jordan Adele is a guy who at East Coast Pro. You know, if, if you saw him there, if you're a scout watching him at East Coast Pro, you're, you you kind of think of him as like, all right, well, he's got non-offensive tools, but I don't know if that's guy a guy who can really use them. And then this week, you know, the ball comes off his bat really well in game action. He shows the ability to make some more contact, and then he had some ropes. Um, and he showed you his arm strength. He showed you his speed. What was your impression of, of Jordan Adele this week? You know, getting to, to kind of see him and be around him and, and actually interview him. Kind of, what were some things that about him that stood out to you? I mean, well, just talking to the kid. I mean, he's very polished. You know, you certainly see you know hints of, of, of star power. Mm-hmm. You know, there with him, just in the way that he carries himself, and you know, obviously, you look at what he did this week at the plate. It had a very nice offensive week at the plate. You know, kind of, you know, a, a lot of two-way guys in this tournament. You know, kind of like Hunter Green. He's a guy who's who's shown some velocity on the mound before. Uh, wasn't necessarily there this week, velocity-wise. He's more 90-91. But Adele, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Adele. But you know, still an, an impressive performance on the mound, and a guy who's who's showing you you know a lot of a lot of different things, a lot of different parts of his game. I mean, this was my first real extended look at him. I mean, I'd seen him in Jupiter a little bit last year in, in October, and uh, you know, I, I came away impressed. You know, it, certainly he he stepped up to the moment and and performed well, and you, you know, a guy who was a was a tough out, you know, yeah. really all week, and that's really all you can ask for, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what's really impressive, and I was just you know having kind of an offhand conversation with a scout about this this week, and and it was you know it was like, hey, this guy's really made adjustments well and shown the ability to do that. I mean, this, his swing is completely different than it was in the beginning of the season. That's just one adjustment. You can start to see him recognizing how how pitchers are trying to attack him and you know he's going to be a guy who's going to be pounded away and that's that's what's going to happen all all year and, and even in the spring they're going to try to pound this guy away 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 and and you know hope that he he lunges at the ball and swings over it um and, and so he's he's shown at least the fact that he can recognize when you you'll see him check his swing on a pitch that's on the outer half, he's he's understanding, like oh hey okay maybe I, I might not be able to square that ball up, but if they come inside on me, they're they're not going to win this battle. So so you know understanding his strengths and weaknesses and, and kind of learning how to use those to his advantage on the field. And now one on one with Alan Jaker. Welcome back to the podcast. Joining me, Alan Jager. Alan, how is it going? We're here at the Area Code Games, uh, the, the sunny Southern California. What's what's going on? Well, as you know, it's great to be here. It's fun to see so many uh, great friends and people you see for years and years and years, and meet great people like you that are in the community that are you know really helping to bring the best out of this game. So 
uh, what can I say? It's great to be here. Yeah, and so, so the way we're going to kind of do this interview, it's the the BA people are getting both the interview of uh, you know kind of on the record thing that I'm working on on a feature story that that should be out by the time this podcast is out, um, but then also we're going to get into some of your philosophy and some of the things you've been working on lately and uh, some of the, the ideas you have. But the the player I'm working on this story on is is Hunter Green, who came out here at the Area Code Games and was pretty electric, uh, as he as he is pretty much every time he steps on the mound. Um, first off, when did, you, when did you first meet Hunter Green? So Hunter's dad, Russell, uh, called us to come out to a camp that we used to do in the summer. And in the fall, and he asked if he could bring Hunter out, and Hunter was seven at the time. And as I would do with any parent, I would say, you know, a lot of stuff we do in the camp is, is mental training-based. And so, uh, you know, the one thing we really do baseball-wise is throwing and arm care, but really there's a lot of stretching, there's some yoga, there's a lot of breathing and relaxation and focus and stuff like that. I said, I don't know if a seven-year-old's really going to... So long story short is... Um, Russell, I could just tell he had that attitude. Like, I don't know, he, he's going to be fine. And I said, okay, we'll have him bring him out the first day. If the first day he, he feels a little overwhelmed or not into it, uh, you know, you can just back out. And so, of course, at that early age, he was already that in tune. And uh, so he did the camp. And, you know, he's just been someone from a very, very young age to, um, I'd say, just stay with the principles, I think, of what we really believe in, especially with the throwing and the arm care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And him as an individual, I mean, watching him on the mound, kind of, and you have so much experience working with with guys who have gone through this process, who have gone through the showcases, and uh, you know, gone to college or gone to the gone through and gone to the draft. Who are some maybe some people you've worked with who he reminds you of, maybe in terms of stuff or maybe in terms of preparation? It's funny we're just talking about him, but in a, in a way. He reminds me a little bit of Lucas Giolito in the sense that um, very, very grounded, um, very in tune with his preparation, um, and has a really kind of relaxed calmness about him, um, even though he's extremely talented. And so uh, he's one guy that jumps out at me. Um, it's hard to compare Hunter because Hunter is really, he's just really unique, obviously, but um I think G. Little from the, a lot of it from the, the character part and, and just the the feel the, the the way he is just as a just very um, what's the word I'm looking for he's just he's very humble and he's um, he just has a way about him where he he's not caught up with the, the drama going on around him he's, I think that's the key thing he's not caught up with the drama. Mm-hmm. The so you mentioned that you worked with him when he was seven years old. Kind of is that normal to you to have a seven year old who's who's like that, and, or or even to have a family who's who's that you know that has that kind of professional approach to to the game at at such a young age? Yeah, it's very unusual, but I think that it's sort of how things work out because it's unusual. It's unusual who he's become. You can argue, but. It makes sense because he's so unique in what he did at such a young age, and now he's a very unique, you know, byproduct of that. So, I think in a way they go hand in hand. I think the fact that the parents were so, you know, did such a great job raising him, but were so in tune with development at such a young age, um, 
uh, it just makes sense to me watching his path. I mean, at 12 years old, I think he was thrown at 240 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you could just sense that, you know, it was hard to project like he's going to be what he was going to be now. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I guess I guess it was unique at the time, but it makes sense in a way when you look back now. Mm-hmm. The... You know, so the, we were talking, uh, you know, before we recorded a couple days ago um, about kind of how it's normal now. Everybody is, so many players are long tossing and, and working with the bands and things like that. But I guess this is a decade ago when, when Hunter's getting started. Um, kind of, how do you think the the perception of of your teaching and of your philosophy has changed over the past decade? Well, I think our teaching actually has been actually consistent for 26 years, honestly. It really hasn't changed. I mean, um, I think we've maybe added other components or we've, you know, we're huge fans of, you know, Ron Woolforth and Driveline and Kyle Bodie and uh, obviously, you know, Eric Cressy. So I think that the fact that we, we've, we like what's going on in the community that's very supportive of our principles and obviously have their own principles, but honestly, our approach to long toss and arm training and arm development and band work has been there since 1990, and mm-hmm. bands have been there since about 1994, so you know, 20 plus years on that. And I think the biggest thing that I'm excited about is that um, maybe it's just been doing it so long, but I just I feel like to me the some of the best programs, best coaches that I know, and I have the most respect for Butch Thompson, Scott Brown, Nate Yeski, Kirk Sarlus, John Savage. You know, for me, it just feels like that these programs where you um, it feels like it's the norm, and I don't want to say, well, everybody's going to long toss because it's something I've been preaching so long, but I think that the reason long toss is so prevalent um, in college and high schools now is because I, I had a line I was thinking about when we were, I knew I was going to talk to you today, which is don't mess with Mother Nature. That was sort of the line, and the reason I said that line comes up is that it's natural for us as human beings to want to stretch and be free and feel relaxation and so long toss is really epitomizes that it's very intuitive to us and I think that when you bring that principle to people it just makes too much sense and to the kids it's a visceral effect it feels too good and so I think part of the reason why it's caught on is number one um, a lot of coaches out there believe in long toss anyway I'm like I introduced them to long toss but I think number two I think you're getting you get overwhelmed by the feedback from all the players. And again, you, when you work with nature, it's a powerful thing. And to me, long toss is working with nature. Um, so I'm not sure if I answered the question exactly, but the, the moral story is is that it is exciting now to, to see that it feels like for me, without being too subjective, that because I have a lot of friends out there that are coaches all across the country now, and I can just feel the pulse of it. Uh, and then there's other people out there in the world that are beating the drum now, like Ron Woolforth and, and Kyle Bodie and. It just feels more and more like you said, it, you know, long toss. It's rare for me to talk to a kid at the area coach, for instance, or really meet a coach, and, and maybe they don't want to hurt my feelings, but it's rare for me to talk to somebody, and they're not into long toss. They're not into throwing and arm training. Like, that is part of the world now, and it's exciting because, to me, it's how you get an arm to get very, very healthy and very, very strong. Mm-hmm. So... I guess let's go off that the getting an arm healthy um, at this point um, coverage media coverage uh, of arm injuries in the past maybe five to ten years has really picked up and, and with Jeff Passon's book the arm coming out this year kind of shedding a whole bunch of light on on this situation and kind of this quote unquote epidemic of, of arm injuries 
kind of what are what are some of your thoughts? I know you have some some pretty um, some pretty bold <laughs> opinions. Um, sure. Yeah. So so um, yeah. What are some of your thoughts on on kind of the the state of, of arm injuries uh, at this point? Well, I think arm injuries number one, far and away, are based on the fact that arms at the high school and college level for the most part. I can speak really more for college. Um, as I just said in the in the last answer, arm training and arm development and arm awareness is an all-time high. I feel like people are into training and development. And part of it is because everybody's sensitive to the fact that we don't want guys getting hurt. Mm-hmm. So, But the flip side to it is, is that there's also more of, that's why I love Jeff's book, there's also more of this awareness. Again, that's where Kyle Bodie comes in and, and Woolforth and us and Cressy is that we're all into this idea of intent and threshold and build it up. You know, you don't count how many steps you, you take every day because you want to save them when you're 60 years old or 70 years old, right? Mm-hmm. You, you actually want to walk more so you can walk. You know, I, I, I joke a lot with coaches. Who's got the best arm on the field, pound for pound? A BP pitcher. BP pitchers make three to 400 throws a day, seven days a week for 40 years. And... And I'm not saying that they can't break down, but you get the idea. The idea is that they're use it or lose it. And so uh, for me, the exciting part about where we're at right now, despite this epidemic, is that we're, we're making tons of progress on the arm development, arm conditioning, arm training side. I actually feel like the biggest disconnect where the arm injuries are happening is because players are coming out of all of these great programs where they're training really well. And when they go into professional baseball, there's a number of organizations, I'd just throw a number out there to be safe, you know, a third of them uh, to maybe half that are basically conservative. Um, They, instead of the individuality of what these players have done their whole lives to get to where they're at, there becomes more of a structured program that's really based on conservatism. Um, It's really based on maybe worrying about things like workload and you know, and to some in pitch counts, and I understand to some degree some of that there's some validity, but I use the word as you know from the other day, deconditioning. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're in a we're in a culture now where for the for the good of it, players are very educated, very educated, and coaches are very educated educated on how to really condition arms well. Um, and I feel like when they go into professional baseball, and again, I'm going to use you know, forty to fifty percent of the organizations. I feel like are really putting heavy, heavy restrictions and limitations on arms. And what happens is you decondition the arm. So it's almost like saying, let's just say that the average pitcher in, in college is used to running 10 miles a day. And I feel like when they get drafted, and again, there's I think half of the organizations are doing an unbelievable job in supporting this new movement, actually. But I think if about half of the organizations, let's just say, they want the pitchers backing off to, to a quarter mile a day. Or, I mean, it's that extreme, or half a mile a day, because they, they feel like they're protecting them. And what that does is it deconditions your arm, and you're still having to ramp up with adrenaline and throwing as hard as they can in games. <laughs> the difference is, is now you've lost your whole base of the conditioning. And to me, it's as straightforward as that. The only other thing I'd add to that is that I do feel like, and I, and I have a manual I'll give you at the end of this, but I just finished a year-round throwing manual, and one of the main pieces to why I wrote the manual is because I've written an off-season throwing program. I've written an in-season program. I've written a program for inclement weather and how do you keep your arm in shape. But the one piece that 
I think is really crucial now. And the reason I've, I had to learn this firsthand is because I basically consulted with Cody Medeiros for 12 months from one June to the next June for the draft. And I had to learn with Cody. I had it on the fly, like about all these different showcases. I mean, I know about, I know about them, but I didn't realize the degree to how many there were, when they are, the stops and the starts of the summer, the <clears throat> where is your training buildup, when is your rest, when should you really air it out, when should you... And so I had to learn from that 12-month period with Cody that, wow, this sort of summer into fall is now all of a sudden a very, very vulnerable time. And I'm never going to put it on the showcases and, and like say it's their fault. I'm just going to say that because there's so many of them and there's travel ball and there's scout ball and there's so many things going on from, let's just say... June 1st to December 1st that I feel like that that now has become a very, very vulnerable time as well because I think my key thing I talk about the manual stops and starts. I just think that you have to know how to build it up like a wave, build a great base, you know how to maintenance, you know when to rest the proper amount of time so you can build up again like a nice wave and the problem is, is we have this very staggering, you know, almost inconsistent ups and downs, ups and downs, and it's, it's almost like what you do to a guy in a bullpen. You have him get up and down, up and down, six times in one game. Well, what's that guy going to be like a week later? He's up and down. He only gets in, even if he only gets in one of the games in a week, but he's been up and down four times. I mean, we all know what that's going to do to an arm. And so I think that's the other, when you ask me, I mean, there's probably some other subtle things, but to me, number one by far is the deconditioning of the arm. Um, I believe at the, the high, at the, in the professional world with about, you know, 40 to 50 percent of organizations and then the other big thing is these stops and starts in the summer and the fall I think are just put kids in a really vulnerable place mm-hmm. the, the this sort of um, and, and this is another thing that, that Jeff Passing gets into is this kind of showcase culture um, the and, and this is something that I discussed with with Hunter uh, Hunter Green and his father is, is kind of trying to focus on development and, and, and training, but also kind of having to do this uh, this kind of pony show, um, and, and having to go out and, and show what you can do. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, is there an easy fix for that? Because this is a time where where scouts really do need to identify the players that they they want to follow up on, and really do need to start bearing down on on who's the most talented player. Um, and the showcases are kind of consistently jammed up against each other and, and not necessarily conducive to a, a proper training program. Is there an easy fix to that, or, or is this kind of just a, this is the way it works? There's a really easy fix. And first of all, it's a great question. It's a very, very important question. Um, the easy fix is this. Um, this is, again, what I had to learn on the fly with Cody. Um, because I have a system that's built in that you just build up a certain way. You can go actually almost as, you can basically go as long as you want. I mean, obviously there comes a point where you want to rest, but you just keep the ball rolling for a while, and then there's a rest period. And then once you rest, there's a certain amount of time you need to rest, and there's a certain amount of time you need to rebuild up. So as long as you stay in this really simple format, you can't miss. The problem is, is that these kids are trying to, as you said, they're trying to juggle 12 different events over a five-month period, and there's, there's really no rhythm to it. And I think that's the big problem. So the fix is this. Now, you can do one of two things. One is you follow, your, the, first of all, you follow the path of your training. So whatever you need to do in your training program, however many innings you pitch that, that spring, and if you're ready for a break period or if you want to just keep rolling for another month and then you're ready for your break period, it's easy. You follow a very simple format where you just keep going, you keep going, you keep going, and then once you stop, 
you're going to have to have a rest period. And based on how many weeks you take off, there's that many weeks you build up again. So I have a really simple formula for my summer. It's called Navigating the Summer, which basically says if your spring season's over and it's June and there's still some really important showcases, just keep going. Mm-hmm. Just stay in shape. Just keep going. But if you decide to stop at any point for every one week you take off, you have to have two weeks of training again. And really, a third week is for at least two bullpens before you go out and throw in a game again. So what happens is if you take off two weeks, you had a week. So now you're off. So if you're off one week, you need two weeks. If you're off two weeks, three weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Well, if you're off four weeks, you're back kind of to our off-season build-up phase again, yeah. which is like a real rest period. So as long as you follow that, you can't miss because mm-hmm. you always have to rebuild and recondition and get your base right again before you get aggressive. So that would be one of the answers. The other answer would be, of course, is if you could put the showcase season. <laughs> this is kind of right out of Nate Yeski. You know, I was talking with him at Oregon State. He's just a genius. But, you know, that the idea of we can put something where there's a dead period mm-hmm. so that the kids can just can kind of roll with the weight and stay in shape. And there's no stopping and starting. There's no shocking of the arm. Mm-hmm. You know you have to stay in shape. And once you stop, you have that rest period. You can build up when you're ready those would be the two main answers Mm -hmm. the it seems like uh, you know anywhere everywhere in the world there's these different philosophies um and everybody's critical of everyone else's um and there's there's sort of a disconnect and a, a whole bunch of different ideas being thrown out there and what happens is sometimes you know something will seem like sure this is intuitive this makes total sense and then a player doing that gets hurt anyway kind of with all the information that's out there what how do you think we can kind of consolidate this how do you think we can streamline the process and, and kind of start to build towards a more functional more something more conducive to having education kind of all around well, I think, number one, there needs to be an extremely high level of awareness that the key to arm health is to adapt to the players in this day and age. I'm not talking about the 8 to 15-year-olds, but the kids that have proven themselves in, in high school and gone through good colleges. I think that there has to be a higher level of awareness that Let's go to school on, on them. Let's adapt to them. I would get in a room personally. I would get in a room, um, Nate Yeski, Scott Brown, Butch Thompson, Kirk Starlis, John Savage. I would get the programs that are putting out the top arms. And granted, they recruit a lot of big arms too. But I'd go to the programs that are not only recruiting top arms. i go to programs that have been healthy mm-hmm. for the last five to eight years. You know, if I'm a scout or I'm a GM, I'm going to send somebody from my front office and I'm going to go talk to Kirk Sarlis and Butch Thompson and Scott Brown and Nate Yeski and John Savage. And I can go on and on and on. And what's the common denominator? Oh, you guys like to throw a lot. Oh, you like to long toss a lot. Um, you like to do band work. Um, four out of five of you do driveline. Four out of five of you do Cressy. I mean, let's find out what are the com- what's the commonality instead of throwing stuff on a wall and saying, you know, well, this is sort of about how many throws you should make at 60 feet and you should make this many throws at 90 feet and this many throws at 120 and then we're going to come in and we're not throwing more than four minutes today or we're only throwing for 10 minutes today. Like, 
Why don't you go to people that are in the field that are living this every single day? Like, not to, I'm not trying to make this a, about me, but I've been on the field for 26 years, like doing the work, doing the research, if you will. And the people that I feel like that are doing the research for me in a way, the coaches that I have, again, the you know, some of the greatest respect for that I know the best, the Butch Thompsons of the world and the Scott Browns and Yeskies of the world. And it's like, these are the people that I would want to get in a room and say, okay, what's the commonalities? Let's track you guys for a while because to me, the, the research is done. I mean, that's, I guess that's the sad part to me about why there's so many people throwing out so many theories of what the problem is. Um, it's almost like you're chasing your tail. You're bobbing for apples. You know, I, I'm... It's, it's too close to home for me because I've lived it and I've been around it my whole life. But, man, I feel like the answers are right there and people are just going around and around in circles on this merry-go-round. Um, anyway, long story uh, short is I just, I just wish that they would um, do more research uh, with the people that are out there that are having the success and having the healthy arms. And... I'll tell you that the, organi- the major league organizations right now that are the healthiest and strongest and have the le- least amount of injuries, I got news for you. They're tapping in outside of their organization now. I'm not saying they don't have good stuff inside, mm-hmm. but they're looking at long toss and into it. Teams that we've consulted with, Bodie, Wolforth, Cressy. I'm just saying, I mean, there's, believe me, there's other things that are going out there as well, but they're not afraid to go outside the organization now and say, hey, What's going on? And, and you know, the funny thing is, is that as I feel like there's more and more people in pro ball that are now starting to look outside of it to find out, hey, what is going on out there? Because they're realizing now they're getting kids from all these programs like Vanderbilt and TCU and Oregon State. And guess what all these kids are coming in with? Bands, Driveline, Cressy. I mean, so they're starting to realize by the power of numbers. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Alan, that's all I got for you in terms of, uh, you know, kind of grilling you here. Um, but the, uh, where can people learn more? Where can people find your work? Where can people access more information on this? It's really easy. Our web- so website is jagersports.com. And what's cool about that is we have a, at the top of the article drop-down menu. There's got to be 20-plus articles. They're all free. YouTube, we've got a, everything from our throwing program to a men- mental game stuff, all free. Um, and then on Twitter, a lot of stuff we put out is just really educational information, a lot of mental game stuff. So that's at Jager Sports, J-A-E-G-E-R. And really, that's it. They can go to our website. There's contact information there. And our Twitter account, I think, are the, the real two key pieces. Awesome, Alan. Thank you so much. I no, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.